morning again. I just wanted to say what a blessing it is to be able to speak this morning, but even more so than a blessing that this can be for me, um, I just want to say that it's such a blessing that we do celebrate Jesus each and every week, uh, and I just don't want to take that for granted, that we are able to come together and remember Jesus. So regardless of how this message goes, at least we've been able to praise him through that. So, get ready. <laughs> Here we go. It says, young people are high-minded because they, not, they have not yet been humbled by life, nor have they experienced the forces of circumstances. They think they know everything and are always quite sure about it. Never has youth been exposed to such dangers of both provisions and arrest in, as in our land and day. Increasing urban life with its temptations, prematurities, sedentary occupations, and passive stimuli, just when an active life is most needed, early emancipation and a lessening sense for both duty and discipline. Many young people were so pampered nowadays that they had forgotten that there was such a thing as walking. And one of my favorites, given my current station in life, a few 35-year-old friends just now are leaving their parents' nest. Many friends are getting married or having babies for the first time. They aren't switching occupations because they have finally landed a meaningful career, perhaps after a decade of hopscotching jobs in search of identity. They're doing the kinds of things our society used to expect from a 25-year-old. You may be wondering why I speak so poorly of the next generation, especially on this day where we're actually celebrating some seniors later on in the service. And it's because these complaints are complaints that we can hear of those below our own age range, those that are younger. And each of these has happened long before the upcoming generation, my generation, y'all's generation, whoever's generation, was even born. This first quote was from Aristotle in the 4th century B.C. They think they know everything and are always quite sure about it. The psychology of adolescence in 1904, never have the youth been exposed to such dangers. Falkirk Harold in 1951 saying that many young people are so pampered they don't even know what walking is. And the Wall Street Journal writes the, this, this phrase about the 35-year-olds in 1984, which if those of you are in the room, if there are any of you that are good at math, that would be people who are in like the 70-year-old age range right now. They're speaking these things of complaint against the younger generation. And throughout this discourse, it's easy to see that people throughout time have looked down upon the generations below them. Not all, by any means, cling to this outlook, but I've had many conversations with people that, that start with that commonplace phrase, kids these days, right? You guys have heard, kids these days are entitled. Kids these days don't know how to work hard or they don't have a work ethic. Kids these days don't care about anything. The list goes on and on about negative remarks, to which there's only one correct response in this day and age when people speak about that. And I just say, okay, boomer. I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I, I only jest because the reality is that this depravity on looking down on the next generation has stood the test of time. But what should our outlook be about those who are rising up into adulthood, those who are younger in years? Let me start by saying this, that, that everyone is searching for a purpose, a wonder of what life is all about and why we're here. And as many seniors graduate this coming Sunday, the most common question that most of us will end up asking, and most of the seniors will probably get tired of answering, is what are your future plans? What are you doing next? What's your, what are you planning to do with your, with your life? And while we all press this upon the growing adolescence, and we even ask this of young children, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to take a look through, with you throughout Scripture to see what God has to say about these young, the children, the next generation. One of the single most clarifying stories for me when it comes to children and younger people comes from two snippets in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 18 and 19, working in tandem, and it says this in Matthew 18. If you have a Bible right in front of you, like, feel free to follow along. It's on page 984. I, I got this Bible so that you guys can follow along if you want to. It's page 984, Matthew chapter 18. It says this in verses 1 through 4. It says, At the, that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus called a little child to himself and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And flipping over just a page, we get to see another conversation, just the next chapter, in chapter 19, verses 13 and 14. It says, The people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them and said, Get these kids out of here. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those such as these. And there's a level in which we should approach God recognizing that we don't have everything figured out. We are the lowly. He is the higher being. He sees it all. We only see a snippet. And we should, like children, recognize that our Heavenly Father knows what is best. And He knows what's going on. And that we can just look at him with this sense of wonder. And children shouldn't have to worry about what their next job is or what their next meal is coming from or how to maximize their 401k, no matter how adorable that would be. <laughs> but life can cause a lot of headaches. How can we do this ourselves? Well, what do you do when you have a headache? My wife actually had some coughing fit this morning, right? She's been going through some sickness, like small sickness, like little sniffles, throughout the weekend. And 
What do you do when that happens? Well, you can take some Advil or, or some Aleve, and these are easy to get your hands on, and they even have a name for their accessibility. Uh, does anyone, I'm, I'm a crowd participatory kind of person, does anyone know what OTC medication stands for, OTC? You, get, you guys are so smart. I actually had to like Google that one, I'm not going to lie to you all. <laughs> I was like, what, what is, I know that that's a phrase, OTC, oh yes, over the counter. So today, I've got a prescription for you all, for these headaches that life can cause. Three critical perspectives that we can easily access and that don't take rocket science to understand. It's OTC, just like over the counter medication. To hold this sense of childlike wonder in faith, we need three critical perspectives. And if you're a note taker, please be sure to write these three things down. A life of childlike wonder and faith requires an optimistic outlook. A life of childlike wonder and faith requires an optimistic outlook. While children do indeed have fits of temper tantrums and, and difficulties, you can see them that, that within them that the optimism of not focusing on the harshness of the world, but instead being able to see things from the fun and possibilities and endless wonder that this life can offer. The astonishment of the newness of each day can bring and the ability to find joy even in the little things. My second prescription is this, T for total trust. Total trust means like a child willing to jump from the top of the steps into the arms of their parent. We can also know that our father will catch us. And we need to give our, in, our dependency to trusting that God knows what he's doing and trust him to help us learn and grow along the way. A life of childlike wonder requires an optimistic outlook, a, a total trust, and lastly, a creative curiosity. Curiosity because if you've ever been around a young child, you know that they get to an age where they start questioning everything with why. Why is the sky blue? Why can't we have ice cream for dinner? Why does mommy take so long in the bathroom? Why does daddy cheer for the Reds even though they keep losing? That one's tough. That's, that's a tough why. But the real question of life that we don't really think about as adults. And we should be able to look out into the world and ask our father about anything that's happening. As an adult, we don't always have the answers. Or even if we do know the answers, sometimes we can't explain them to a child. Right? But that should never stop us from asking, just like we should continue to ask of God. And creativity, because creativity helps us become like children, because they form inside of their imagination all kinds of scenarios, whether it's the floor being lava, the royalty of becoming a princess or a prince, and even my only friend growing up, Eduardo, who was purple and was totally real, okay? We ought to have creative curiosity and desire to be like our creator. Our God is creative, and so we should also create like he does. 
So that's your prescription to keep this childlike wonder alive. An optimistic outlook, total trust in God, and a creative curiosity. All these help ensure that we will continually have that childlike wonder in our walk with God. But sometimes life can make us grow up a lot faster than we're supposed to. Whether it's a parent becoming incarcerated, parents going through divorce, a parent losing a job and trying to figure out how to make ends meet, a death of a loved one, a lot of things can weigh even children down to where they are now dealing with difficulties that while absolutely prevalent before, have become over time even more commonplace for a child to face earlier and earlier in life. So what do we do when we have to grow up? Some of you have faced those scenarios yourself. Some of you had to walk through difficulty of life at some point. Our childhood will be taken away. But what do we do? I want to share with you all a story of a boy who had to grow up exceptionally quick. And if you would join me, we can see this story play out in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And while you're turning over there, um, it's on page 460. I do this with my students all the time because we all use the same Bible. But it's easy for us to come together again and be able to open the Bible. Because sometimes it can be intimidating. It's like, how do I even find these things you know you look in the cold cords or you sometimes see them often flipping through just like willy-nilly hopefully getting to the place but it's on page 460 um and inside of second chronicles 34 it says this in verse 1 and 2 josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned in jerusalem 31 years He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father, David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. I just want to push pause just from the absurdity of these two verses. How in the world does an eight-year-old become the king of an entire nation? Eight years old. Well, let me give you just a little bit of context. See, Josiah's father, his name was Amon, and he was the king before him. And Amon actually became the king when Josiah was actually six years old. So he was six years old, just just out of, you know, kindergarten at, at that point. And Amon becomes king at six years old. The problem was that Josiah's father, Amon, was evil in, the, in God's eyes. Amon ruled for about two years before his own officials conspired together and killed him because of how evil that he was. And Josiah's grandfather, the one that was king right before, during that time, the six years, and then his dad, before that, Manasseh was not all that much better. Manasseh worshipped all kinds of foreign gods, practiced witchcraft, and consulted mediums, and did so many atrocious things. He even had his kids go through the the god at that time called Molech, where he would put them in burning hands. 
It's like, man, all this stuff is just bad, bad, bad with a capital B. And Manasseh, he did humble himself a little bit toward the end of his life. But these are the examples that Josiah had to look up to, right? But somehow, some way, Josiah decided to seek after God. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. It says, in the eighth year of his reign... While he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. Under his direction, the altars of Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. So this kid, literally kid, who saw so much bad, so much wrong, so much evil, started looking for God at the young age of 16 years old. At the age of 20, he actually started enacting change inside of his nation of cutting down these idols and altars to other gods. And how massively incredible is it that this new generation, having no strong examples, was able to humble himself and look to God for answers. And you know what's even crazier about this story? That this guy, Josiah, he didn't even have scripture to seek after God. There was no written word of God at that time of the law that he had to look toward for 10 years of seeking after God. Look at verse 8 and verses 14 through 19 if you don't believe me. It says this in verse 8. It says, In the eighth year of Josiah's reign to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. Just put pause right there. That's a lot of names that I don't know how to pronounce properly. I don't know if anybody does properly. But basic premise is that he sends these people to purify the land and to repair the temple of the Lord their God. And in verses 14 through 19, it says this. While they were bringing out the money... That had been taken into the temple of the Lord. Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him. Your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They paid out their money that was in the temple and have entrusted it to the supervisor and workers. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest, he found, he he gave me a book. And Shaphan read it from, read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. 
the reason why I bring this all up is that when we think about the next generation, we often can become worried and anxious and wonder, what has the world come to? They don't know the Bible like they used to. They don't prioritize church. And whatever complaint that we make, it's imperative to recognize that no matter what circumstances life throws at us, we can continually seek God. Even if we don't have all the right answers, even if things get messy, or we don't fully understand what's going on, we can walk through life in a dependence upon God. And that's part of the reason why if you look closely, you'll, you'll see an important aspect of today's message title. Not only is this life supposed to be a life of wandering, but it's also to be a life full of wandering as well. Take, for example, an experiment done by the American Society of Landscape Architects, right? This group wanted to figure out children's playground, what's the best design? How do we make the design the most playful, the most fun for children to be a part of? And what they found was entirely intriguing. Basically, they had two different playgrounds, right? One was a playground with a fence on, without a fence, and one had a fence surrounding it. And what they found inside of this playground is the one that did not have a fence around it. They tended to cling around their teacher, huddling around her because there was not a clear boundary. And they were fearful to even leave her sight. The other, with the fence, instead allowed these kids to play the entire extent of the playground, even exploring and venturing off to the borders around the fence. See, I believe that God has given us all boundaries to stay within. A guideline of loving him above everything else and loving others as ourselves. And when we remain inside the boundaries that he places inside of our lives, I think there is a lot to wonder about and a lot to wander through. So students, if, if you're one that struggles with wandering through life, you're wondering, uh, you're not sure about what you're supposed to do, what job you need to go to, where you need to go to school, all of this stuff, um, maybe even like who you're supposed to marry or whatever it may be, it's okay for you to figure it out along the way. Part of the joy of life and the struggle of life is figuring it out as you go. And parents, as your students continue to grow up, they are still your children. But allow them the space to figure some of this stuff out as well. Taking on a coaching and guiding along the way. But your kids are still going to make mistakes. And even if they don't, then we want to give them the opportunity to learn what life is all about. And I'm sure if you look back as a parent, 
you had the same attitude when you were that age, trying to just figure out everything. And even if you didn't, everyone needs a chance to explore, to wander. Try to remain in, remind them of the boundaries that God has placed. But outside of that, encouragement. You can't make the choices for them. That's really tough when you love them so deeply and so dearly. But each of us has to make a choice for ourselves. And there is going to be an aspect of our life that we're wandering through. And Josiah, inside of his life, he had to wander through life for 18 years of not having the books of the law. And Josiah was still able to find God even without, even without having his birth. And those of you in the room, that would belong to the more seasoned age demographic. Remember that the world is not the same world that you grew up in. There are going to be different pitfalls, different circumstances, and different ways that people wander through life. And I'm not saying that one is easier than the other. I just want to encourage all of you to not look down on the, the younger generation as they have a lot to figure out. And I'm sure that we all have things that we still need to work through, need to figure out that we're wandering through this life trying to understand why does God have me here at this time right now and what can I do alongside him? And it's been said, mourn for those who have everything figured out. For in so doing, they have nothing left to figure out. Part of the joy of life is wondering and wandering. And in one of my wife's favorite movies, it's Forrest Gump. They, I, I love Forrest Gump, too. It's so incredible. It has so many different relatable quotes. Um, but there's a constant pull between um, things being set and determined versus allowing life to happen. And Forrest, inside of the movie, says this. I don't know if Mama's right or... Or if it's Lieutenant Dan. I don't know if we each have a destiny. Or if we're all floating around accidental like on a breeze. But I, I think maybe it's both. Maybe both is happening at the same time. I believe that there are aspects of life. That God continually places before us. And gives us the opportunities for us to enact good. It says that he even has good works placed out for us. But we also have a lot of choices that we are able to determine for ourselves. Like what our career is. Like who we're going to marry. Or not marry. Or where we go to school, all of these things help allow us the opportunity for God to be at work inside of our lives. So keep exploring life with God. 
take your OTC medicine consistently, staying the path of having an optimistic outlook like a child, a total trust in God, and a creative curiosity that allows us to continue to wonder about how amazing God is as we wander through this life together. I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to have a song of invitation. Um, and uh, during this time, if you're somebody who's been wandering through life, there is boundaries that God wants for our lives. There are things that, that God desires for each of us, and one of those is to have a relationship with him, to be able to recognize that he is what we need, to live a life totally dependent on him. And so if you want to understand that life a little bit more, I'm going to be right down here, um, and I would love to talk to you about that. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we like children need you. We need your goodness and your desires for our life to shine through. Allow us to have that optimistic outlook, to totally trust you and trust that you know what you're doing, that we can rely on you. And allow us to have that creative curiosity to seek after you in everything and continue to ask what you're doing inside of our lives and how this life should look and what you want from us. Allow us to walk through life with you. It's in your name that we pray.